Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. I'm Rob Aldrich. And I'm Kelly Westby. I have to train these students to use technology that hasn't yet been invented, to work in jobs that don't yet exist, to solve problems we haven't yet identified. In this episode, I spoke with Patrick Hasse, who's a professor at Stockton University in Southern New Jersey. Patrick's a professor in the sustainability program, and four of my colleagues are alumni of this program, and we keep checking back for more. It seems that they are onto something there. Patrick has quite a CV. We have a bio on the show notes page, but he started with degrees in engineering, applied technology. He was in the Navy. He worked in international relations, international development, then got two PhDs, historical studies and political science. It's quite the varied background, Uh, but he really has found that it's really a fantastic fit for teaching sustainability. Combination of science and engineering, policy, history, economics, really seems to be working well. We talked a lot about sustainability in education. We talked a lot about sustainability in the culture and economy over overall. Uh, and we talked about education overall. Uh, towards the end, we talked about the, the culture's focus on higher education, college for everyone, and how that's really not helping us. Um, it's not a really a sustainable practice. I really thought this was an interesting conversation. I really enjoyed talking with him. I started asking Patrick about Stockton University, more info on Stockton itself. Yeah, uh, and it's a really interesting sort of place. It began as kind of one of these experiments in higher education uh, that emerged in the 60s. So when it first began, it was kind of a clothing optional campus, uh, (laughs) no grades. You know, you get the kind of thing, the model that UC Santa Cruz and a lot of other schools like that followed. Since then, it's become somewhat more conventional. But one unique thing about Stockton is it's still very much focused on teaching and uh, quality integrated uh, undergraduate education. So we have this unique kind of general studies program where every student takes a third to half of their courses actually kind of in these interdisciplinary courses with titles like, you know, uh, science, history, and race, and, uh, you know, things like that, that sort of bring together the social sciences and the sciences, et cetera. Um, it's a really unique kind of uh, place to, uh, to teach. And for me, it's been ideal because you know, a degree program in sustainability that wants to connect the social sciences, the technology, the sciences all together, you really kind of can't find a more suitable habitat for that than a school that began with, you know, a a focus on alternative education and education, you know, focused on efficacy and uh, change and sustainability. So the the department, or at least the degree program that you are most focused on is sustainability. Yeah, it's actually a degree in sustainability. So to be clear, we offer BA and BS degrees 
in sustainability, the students get concentrations in things like agroecology, policy, sustainability management, and my area of expertise, uh, energy, which focuses on you know, green buildings, alternative energy, et cetera. But it's not an environmental science degree with a couple of political science classes added in or some kind of broad, you know, just science degree. It is really truly interdisciplinary with courses in ecological economics, environmental policy, as well as courses uh, in applied technology, uh, green building design, sustainable engineering and CAD design. So it really is kind of a, a unique program. The first in the state, I think, honestly, probably about the 15th. By when we started, we were about the 15th in the country. Uh, now there's a fair number more, but it's kind of hard to disaggregate them because honestly, some of these programs are really more like a degree in planning that focuses in sustainability or degree in physics that focuses in sustainable energy rather than a truly interdisciplinary broad-based degree. And there's there's been a big shift. I I think I mentioned to you that when I my undergrad degrees in chemistry, and I had a concentration in environmental science, and this was in ninety four. I have to think about right. that. So, <laughs> so uh, but it was it was, you know, even my professors and and advised me, you know, on your resume, don't maybe tone down the environmental science. Bit, you know the, the and it was I mean it was a chemistry degree and then I had to take another half dozen courses or something to make it this environmental science concentration right and it was not taken seriously and and even now and if I see if I see a resume and there's like an environmental environmental science program or 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 something I I don't know what that means you know and it it could be very fluffy they may not have right. any technical savvy at all and we need people with that know at least a little bit about certainly no math and no thermodynamics and or, or at least a little bit about about buildings and and how how energy works but I mean so so I guess how is that how do you, how is it different? How has that changed? And how do you distinguish yourself? I love this, this question. So, so essentially, how are you not a joke? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll say right now, we, we've hired, I think we've hired four people from your program. Who yeah. I, I've, I've certainly worked with three of them. And yeah, I mean, we, we keep going back. It's, it's, uh, it's certainly not. It's certainly not a joke. Yeah, and I'll tell you honestly, uh, engineering firms uh, and design firms uh, are kind of lining up. I think I'm the only professor at Stockton, maybe one of few, that gets calls from engineering firms like two or three months before graduation, saying, "Hey, have you got anybody lined up that we can look at?" Uh, so we're doing really well. I think we actually have the best placement in the field of any uh, degree program at the university. Um, but you're right; it could easily also be like tree hugging 101, right? Come and study sustainability. We'll all talk about how to be at peace with the universe. Um, and there was some of that in environmental science as well. And I think, you know, there's always this, I think, uh, hesitancy, skepticism in new fields of study. So in the late 60s and early 70s, environmental science kind of had a little bit of a stigma because it was bucking the system and bringing together biology and ecology and physics and chemistry to combine into this new field of study. But it turned out, you know, we realized a little while later, it turned out to make a lot of sense. And if you were going to solve things like, uh, you know, pollution issues, you needed to have some chemistry, but also some biology and also some physics. So it made a lot of sense to do this kind of 
interdisciplinary kind of training. Well, it turns out we've discovered exactly the same thing, that if you're going to solve major issues, and I don't just mean like solve climate change, but of course we're focused on that, but solve issues like how do you integrate photovoltaics into our existing generation system, um, you need to have some understanding of politics and economics and business, but also you need to understand, as you said, physics, thermodynamics, right? Electricity. And I would add, you need to have those practical skills. You need to know how to work with the equipment. So, uh, you know, that's kind of what sustainability does is it brings all these pieces together to train effectively engineers, but more than that, broadly trained, dare I say it, I don't know, intellectuals that can kind of put the pieces together in new ways. And if we're looking for new solutions, we need folks that can innovate in new ways. So, you know, uh, when I meet new students, I first make clear from the beginning, we're not tree hugging 101. Uh, and then I also tell them, look, um, yeah, I want you to help save the planet, but you're not going to save the planet if you're unemployed. So my number one priority is to train you in the actual useful skills you need to make a difference in the real world as it exists. Because if you don't do that, then you're not a force, you know, if you'd like a force for good. And so often I get students that come in and they're kind of, you know, uh, a little on the progressive side or really focused on, you know, yes, I want to be one with the universe kind of thing. But we have a couple of conversations and pretty soon they're like, yeah, I want to be one with the universe. But first, I need to master thermodynamics, uh, <laughs> you know, and that's what we want. We want to, that's to me empowerment. That's what allows people to kind of be changed. Uh, yeah, there might have been a little skepticism first off, but I will tell you this. When we began the program, I met with employers from around the region, uh, engineering firms, design firms, nonprofits, municipal uh, leaders, planners, etc., and asked all of them the same kinds of questions. What skills do you need of your new employees? What technical hands-on experience do they need? Uh, what do you need them to be able to do when they first start working for you? And we integrated that into the curriculum, so sort of baked in to the curriculum are the kind of skills real employers told us they needed from their new employees. And again, the idea is we don't save the planet if our graduates are unemployed. So how are those skills different than maybe a conventional engineering or architecture or you know, what you mentioned the interdisciplinary approach and actually let me back up I'm uh, a, a little bit. So is, is there a, is, it, is this a department or is this a program that spans several departments? Yeah, both. We have this weird okay. kind of model. So that's a really interesting question. You almost sound like a professor when you ask that question, because that's the kind of question I get from professors, because they're trying to wrap their head around the structure of the thing. You know, students don't care. They're like, call it a department, call it a program, call it all whatever right, you want, right? right? Uh, but the professors that I talk to in conferences are always like, yeah, how did you structure that? How do you get economists okay. on board with scientists? So what we did is we created a new kind of department structure. Usually you hire a bunch of different academics, right? Uh, and you bring them all together and they're all physicists or they're all political scientists or whatever. And they're, so they're teaching in political science. We are a department and we do have several faculty who are experts in, for example, agroecology, environmental policy, public health, myself in energy and design um, that are full-time in sustainability. However, 
also full members of the department are faculty across the university that are mm -hmm. also in other departments. So for example, we have somebody in economics who's a full member of sustainability, but also in the economics program or in political science or in history or in business or in even environmental science. Uh, and so when we have a meeting, we actually have, you know, uh, dozens of faculty from around the university that are invited to come and participate in the design of the curriculum and in the management of the department. Um, and so it's kind of this interesting kind of combination where we've got these tentacles out throughout the university. For me, honestly, it does two great things. One is it makes sure that we stay interdisciplinary and we get the expertise from people around the university. So in other words, I'm not trying to fake it by teaching a class in like, you know, sustainability and business, which I know relatively little about. I go out and find the experts in business. They work in the business department, but then they teach courses for us as well. That's one thing it does. But the other thing it does is it kind of stimulates and catalyzes sustainability education across the university. So now the business program has an expert in sustainability that's also teaching business classes from that perspective. And economics now has an expert in ecological economics that's also teaching in economics. So it's kind of a twofer for us. Yeah, it's 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 pretty different. I think it's I think it's pretty different. It is really different. It blow, if you were an at this point, if you were an academic, you you know you'd have a little bit of a mind blow kind of thing. Like, wow, can you do that? And this gets to the question you asked about Stockton University. Yeah, we can at Stockton. I think uh, you know if we were at a more conventional university, uh, it'd be a more challenging kind of thing. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I don't I don't think much about academic structures, <laughs> but <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> Um, so going back to actually the question in my mind that teed that off, I mean, how is the coursework or the lab work or the activities, how, how does it, obviously you're going to take business or policy or, um, economics courses if you're focusing on buildings and energy, are there, what are some of the kind of other distinguishing things than a conventional engineering program? Say? Right. Right. So actually, and conventional engineering programs are trying to be somewhat more interdisciplinary now, but it's a challenge for them, in part because there's so many requirements and necessary training for engineering that it's hard to fit in the economics or business or innovation, et cetera. Um, a few things. First off, the core of the curriculum is sustainability. So every student in sustainability, whether they're focused in energy, agriculture, policy, nonprofit work, whatever, takes those classes in ecological economics, takes the class in policy. And these are sustainability classes. So I got to say some programs, you know, we have like, for example, as you pointed out, environmental science programs that will require a class in American government or require a class in macroeconomics. Okay, fine. But that leaves the hardest part to the students, figuring out what the heck that has to do with what they're studying. So, you know, you can have a student take a class in American politics, another class in macroeconomics, and a class in physics, and a class in ecology. But what those have to do with each other is not at all clear. We actually have a core curriculum that kind of teaches policy as an integrated field. So it integrates in elements of technology and talks specifically about how policy speaks to technology and how it creates limits or incentives for alternative energy, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not just sort of policy in the abstract, but here's the policy and the debates about whatever net metering or grid regulation, et cetera, that actually you're going to matter when you're out in the real world. So that's one thing. The other thing is the approach to sustainability. And this is maybe unique to Stockton's kind of sustainability. But what I like to say for our students is I have to train these students 
to use technology that hasn't yet been invented, to work in jobs that don't yet exist, to solve problems we haven't yet identified. So I can't really just do as a typical engineering program does and says, here's how you use CAD, here's how you solve these problems, et cetera. What I've got to do is challenge them to be much more creative, innovative, independent, and what I call resilient thinkers, to work through the hard problems and to kind of come up with new answers, new solutions. And especially, this is really important, to be very comfortable working in a world of ambiguity, uh, but to kind of deal with pernicious problems, problems that have multiple possible answers and you don't have all the information. So you kind of have to take your best shot at coming up with an innovative, creative kind of solution. So as an example to this, and this is where I'm getting into the weeds a little, but everybody remembers the physics labs you used to have where, I don't know, you shoot a ball up in the air and then measure how long it takes to get back down, or you roll a cart and measure how long it takes to stop. You're essentially measuring gravity or friction or something. I think it's much more interesting to have my students come in and tell them, measure gravity. And they say, well, how? What equipment do we use? What do we have? Well, tell me what you're going to do and tell me what equipment you need and I'll tell you what you, we've got. And the reason I do it that way, and you know, by the way, they freak out, right? <laughs> they spend 40 minutes talking about what they might do, what they should do, et cetera, as a team. And then they come up with some kind of answer and they're all going to come up with different answers. <laughs> yeah, wow. Wow. I would be freaked out. I'm thinking yeah. of myself and a student. It's like measure what? What? I don't. What? I'd be pissed off. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, measure that gravity. <laughs> that ex exactly, and that happens. Um, but in the end, they have okay. They've learned a little bit about gravity in that physics example, right? But in my example, they learn how to come together as a team, how to consider different options and evaluate the relative benefits and challenges of each option how to consider what kind of measurement parameters they need, what kind of instrumentation they're going to need, to even think about what is the nature of gravity and what are the different ways of measuring it, et cetera, et cetera. That's what I need them to learn because those are the skills that will allow them to answer the questions that haven't yet been asked. We just need to make everybody a Newton, just <laughs> That's it. on your own. <laughs> yeah, not so hard. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so people that come to the program are, you mentioned this before, are, some are kind of ideologically driven. Are, are some career driven? Is it a mix? Is it people like I'm thinking when I, again, when I went to college, I, I had no idea what I wanted to do as a career. I, as a little bit of a pyromaniac, I liked blowing things up when I was in high school <laughs> in a healthy way as all my friends said the same thing. As so well, chemistry. Way, as I'm well good at you it. should. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Just last week, this, I don't know if you're going to make this is going to make it into your podcast or not, but just last <laughs> week I was talking about fossil fuels and I shared with my students that we used to make napalm when I was a kid. <laughs> and, uh, none of my kids, none of my students shared in that experience. And I thought, boy, what impoverished lives you've lived. <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's funny. I, I hang out with my high school buddies and, you know, we're still a little bit touch of pyromania lingers and not, but none of the other kids, none of the next generation seems to share that. Oh, we're going to have a huge fire. We're going <laughs> to blow something up to start it. And then yeah, what, whatever. <laughs> What's wrong with these people? Anyways, <laughs> again, thinking of me, I had no idea what I wanted to do as a career when I started going to college. I started to get a clue when I was a junior in college and it wasn't in chemistry. Um, but 
so do people come with a career with career ideas or more ideological ideas or something to do? I, you know, I think it's interesting. Uh, there's a mix always, obviously. And by the way, I share that experience with you. I think I changed my major about five times as an undergraduate. <laughs> uh, so I ended up with two, uh, majors and I think four minors. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, but yeah, it's a mix for the students that come into the sustainability program. I would say if there's one common thread, it's probably that they all kind of want to feel like they're doing something worth doing. Okay. Um, and, you know, we kind of, to some degree, the nature of the program weeds out those that aren't highly motivated. So that's probably why they have that common thread. What I mean is, look, if you get a degree in, I don't know, biochemistry, that's a pretty rigorous degree, but all you really need to know is biochemistry. I require my students to know physics, chemistry, biology, engineering, applied tech, design, economics, politics, some philosophy, and then put it all together and come up with better ways of managing our planet. That's It's actually a lot of work. And so the students realize that. So it kind of, to some degree, weeds out those that aren't strongly motivated. But what we end up with then is those students that are generally highly motivated, generally kind of want to feel like what they're doing is worth doing. So maybe they're a attracted to nonprofit work. Maybe they're attracted to working in business. Maybe they want to be engineers. Generally, the folks that do energy kind of also like and probably spent much of their childhood taking things apart and putting them back together, <laughs> you know, as is, na is the nature of engineers. Um, but in all cases, I think that the common thing, the common appeal they feel from sustainability, other than that kind of hands-on interactive kind of approach, which they love, uh, is this feeling like they're doing something worthwhile. This isn't just a career for the sake of making money, but they're going to make a difference. They're, they're, what they do matters. Yeah, gotcha. I, yeah, and that's certainly that started informing my career direction, you know, starting at the end of undergrad and certainly in grad school. Um, do, do people go on to grad school? I'm wondering, like, I, I didn't even... Yeah. I went to grad school with... That's related to my career, but before that, I didn't even really think of my career. Right, yeah, and we actually talked fairly early in the program about graduate school because depending on what a student wants to do, uh, graduate school can make a lot of sense. So we have some going more toward, toward professional training, uh, environmental law, for example, planning for those students interested in policy. Obviously, planning is a big one, especially a few planning schools that focus on sustainable communities, uh, smart growth, that sort of stuff, integrate green buildings, et cetera. Um, so those are uh, fairly popular. And then we do have a fair number of students that go on uh, to do advanced studies in engineering. I just had a student who just finished her PhD uh, in electrical engineering, uh, and now she's working at NREL. Um, other students uh, do other forms of technical stuff. We've had a few go to Columbia's Earth Institute. Um, and other interdisciplinary kites and programs. And one graduated, oh, this was a few years ago, but graduated from Berkeley's um, Energy Resource Group. So as you can imagine, coming from an interdisciplinary kind of approach, a fair number of our students, at least if they're going on uh, into the academic or research realm, are attracted by the same kind of interdisciplinary approach, but at the graduate level. Interesting. 
how big is the program? How many students a year? Well, uh, generally between, I'm not sure what the exact number is, but let's say between 35 and 70 or so, depending on the okay. term. We're on the okay. lower side of that now because we kind of got hit a little bit by COVID. Um, yeah. The nature of sustainability is, you know, uh, 16, 17-year-old high school kids don't assume that Stockton has a sustainability program. So if they really loved physics, they might go to Stockton and say, I'm going to major in physics. And they can safely assume physics will be available at Stockton. <laughs> yeah. But sustainability, they sort of have to run across. We have to proactively reach out to them, reach out to the teachers and say, hey, this is available. Ah, uh, and COVID made it harder to proactively reach out to yeah. students. Man. <laughs> Let's not get yeah. into the COVID. Yeah, yeah, that's the worst part. Right, right, right. Here I am crying. That's pretty much the worst part of COVID is our, our oh, enrollment geez. is down. Oh, man. <laughs> no, but that that's made it a challenge, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 where do they go? You mentioned some that go to graduate programs. But what is it? I mean, with such a broad array of, well, an interdisciplinary field of study is is the careers they end up going into similarly broad? Yeah, it's really broad. I mean, in the engineering field, uh, we now have sort of, uh, well, including, you know, with your firm, but uh, with several organizations, somewhat of a, you know, a, a regular, uh, what you want to call it, pathway for our students. And I think I even had an engineering, uh, head of an engineering firm I talked to a few weeks ago, who sort of said, I had no idea I wanted your students until I hired your students. And now I want more of your students. So, yeah. you know, they, they were using engineers and no offense to engineers, but this guy suddenly realized, oh, wow, I get somebody with engineering training who also understands the business aspects of this or also understands the economics of this. Um, I had a student who, for example, uh, got hired by a um, commercial photovoltaic firm where he's designing, you know, photovoltaic uh, fields. Uh, and he moved up the ladder extremely quickly, much more quickly than his bosses expected, but because he could easily wrap his head around the policy aspects that had to be covered before you put, you know, solar panels all over an open field and the economic aspects and, and you know, things like this. Uh, so in the energy field, uh, we're doing really well, but that's only one of our areas. In agroecology, students tend to, some of them choose to work uh, on their own farms. In fact, we train students in agroecology. This is really interesting to me, but we train students in a form of farming that allows them to not only farm sustainably, but in to produce a large yield on a fairly small lot. So ideally, when our students graduate, they could make a good living on a two-acre farm. Ah. And that is remarkable, right? Because everybody can find two acres to lease somewhere. But we, in wow. fact, our model farm on campus has less than an acre as a model of that kind of agriculture. Oh, wow. And we're producing over 10 tons of produce a year. Man. So if you do it right, there's remarkable possibilities there. So those students, some of them decide to run their own farms. Others work at other farms with this expertise. Some work in social and political organizations that deal with agriculture or training groups, um, whatever, uh, you know, community farms, um, urban agriculture programs, et cetera. Uh, and then a fair number of our students, as you might imagine, get into nonprofit public policy sort of stuff, advocacy work, okay. community organizing. And uh, a smaller number, because it hasn't quite picked up yet, but it's starting to pick up, go into business and industry as sustainability experts. So working at the offices of sustainability for different kinds of companies, everything from ski resorts uh, to pharmaceuticals. Oh, man. Interesting. 
Jeez. Yeah, everybody's kind of into this now. Unfortunately, what happened for us is there's, I think, a little bit of a delay because the large companies that are starting offices of sustainability generally started the office by hiring from within. And uh, it's yeah, right, right. just yep. now that those offices are expanding their role and they're starting to look for, you know, young recruits. Yep. That makes sense. That makes sense. Are other universities kind of, you, you mentioned there are other programs that are along the lines. I, I mean, is this a growing trend? Do you see other people copying you or doing similar stuff? Uh, yes and no. I mean, is it a growing trend? Well, yeah. And I think that it will have to be, you know, as I like to tell my students when they're feeling down, when we get kind of a, a, a you know, a loss of some sort or another, or they feel like, you know, in terms of policy, or they feel like, you know, are we ever really going to seriously try to save this planet? Uh, I tell my students, look, uh, we will, because we have no choice. So at some point, by definition, we will define a sustainable community or we will no longer be a human community. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to get there. And so my answer to you broadly philosophically is, yeah, of course, sustainability is going to be a major source of research and training because we're going to have to do this. Maybe yeah. we're going to be foolish and delay longer than we should. But eventually, we're going to have to do this. Now, the more immediate answer I have for you, maybe a little more satisfying, uh, I think sustainability is probably going to develop the way, say, computer science is developed. What I mean is everybody has some knowledge of computers. Everybody as an undergraduate has some course that trained them in computers, maybe even a little bit of coding, that kind of thing. And then a certain number of people become experts in computers and get degrees in computer science. But it's relatively small compared to all the people that work on computers. I think that's probably the future of sustainability education. Yeah, there will be more sustainability programs that train experts in the field of sustainability. But I think the real change will be a heck of a lot more students will start seeing sustainability in other coursework, in their business classes, in their engineering courses, in their history courses, in their political science courses, and possibly do say minors in sustainability, uh, and then use sustainability in a job that before had nothing to do with sustainability, right? So now, whatever, you're, you know, uh, the job of, I don't know, an accountant uh, 40 years ago didn't have much to do with computers. Maybe you have to go back 50 years, but let's say 50 years ago, yeah. didn't have much to do with computers. Now it's all about computers. And I think we'll see that kind of transition uh, in a lot of jobs where sustainability suddenly takes on a central role. Uh, and so I think we're going to see a lot of sustainability education across the curriculum, not just in focused programs. It's for that reason that, by the way, that here at Stockton, we also have both a minor in sustainability for students and other majors and a certificate in energy science so that students doing, say, physics, biology, et cetera, can also get trained hands-on in energy technology. All right. So hands-on makes hands -on. me think of one other thing I wanted to talk about with you about. And, and like, you know, we're, it's so strange in this COVID era or hopefully almost post-COVID era. Um, Everybody's trying to hire. I mean, we're, we, last time I looked at our, our careers page, we were looking for over 20 uh, people and we're, you know, we're a firm of 125 people and we have, you know, we want, immediately want 20% more. <laughs> right. Um, and you're not alone. But, yeah, no, I know. I know. I, all industries are, are not only firms in our industry, but all industries I think are, are looking, um, 
the thing that we run into that I run into personally on, on my, in my work, in my actual projects is, is lack of trades, the workforce shortage on the trade side. And this is something that I mentioned to you when we first chatted, I think there's a big need for lots of people not necessarily going to higher education and getting into meaningful, profitable <laughs> work in in trades, which 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 hasn't been happening. And and I guess I'd wonder what your take on that on that is. Yeah, boy, man, do I have a lot to say. So, do you have two or three hours? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, here, let me try to answer that uh, from two angles. One is from the angle of my students at the university level. First off, I can't train them in the higher end aspects of design, of engineering, if they can't work with their hands, frankly. Mm. Uh, and I was lucky. When I first did my undergraduate degree in aeronautics, uh, I needed to be trained as a sheet metal worker, a riveter, a welder, and a machinist before I got to take my first engineering course. So essentially, the first year and a half of my undergraduate curriculum was trade school. In fact, I was licensed, FAA licensed as an airframe and power plant mechanic as a result of my engineering training in the program. And I remember oh, wow. one time asking my advisor, why do we have to do this? And he said, because we have enough bad designs. In other oh, words, man. so many engineers who, you know, you know what I'm talking about, automotive engineers who've never worked on a car. And so you got to change the oil by dropping the engine, you know, oh, <laughs> essentially, or whatever other kinds of crazy stuff is out there. Um, so I think that was brilliant. And I've learned from that. So my students also get that hands-on training because they can't understand the big picture of how to, say, integrate photovoltaics more significantly into uh, the grid or whatever, design green buildings, if they can't actually understand how a building is put together or they can't understand how a photovoltaic system is wired. So my students get a fair amount of hands-on training before they actually get the big picture. Here's the bigger challenge, honestly. And I think as a nation, we probably have made a mistake. We have focused on higher education. I think, to the detriment of the trades and the professions. And I think that's just been tragic, and it's going to be really problematic for our future. Look, I'm a university professor, so maybe I shouldn't be saying this right, but the fact is, in my experience, probably a quarter to a third of the students that are now getting undergraduate degrees probably don't need undergraduate degrees. I teach a class, for example, in automotive technology. It's my general studies class, so it gets students from all over the curriculum that take it just to meet the general studies requirement. It's essentially an introduction to sciences through the automobile. Uh, and so I get all the gearheads. You know, obviously, like you, you teach a class called automotive whatever, and all the business students are really into their car, going to take the class. So I get all, all the right. gearheads. And honestly, some of these guys are great mechanics. Some of these guys, it's their passion. That's what they should be doing. We need awesome mechanics <laughs> uh, and we need people that, you know, follow their passions. Uh, but instead, somebody told them along the way that they really need to get a bachelor's degree. And so I asked them, you know, what major are you in? And they say, you know, whatever, hospitality management or business or whatever. I'm like, oh, you're really into hospitality management? No, no, no. It just seemed like, you know, the, the one that wasn't going to get in the way of my life too much. Oh, well, yeah. I, you know, that's terrible. So I think that... What we've done is we've made this mistake, and I see this at the high school level too, where teachers try to route all the students 
toward college. Well, if a student is excited about working on a car, use that as leverage. We need mechanics, and that is an admirable skill, or plumbers, or builders, or welders, or machinists, or whatever it is. These are not only excellent skills, but frankly, these are the skills I need in my students as a starting place. What we've done now is many schools across the nation over the past 30 years have actually shut down the entryway for that kind of thinking. So the old shop classes in high school and middle school, uh, metal shop, wood shop, electrical shop, all these great classes that I took from, you know, back in the 70s, these classes aren't being offered anymore. It's, is that is that widespread? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Nationally, many schools have shut down these programs because they tend to be fairly expensive and because there's this bias toward college prep. So what makes a high school good is if a large proportion of their graduates go on to college, which oh, I think man. is ridiculous. To me, what makes a school good is if a large proportion of their graduates are successful and happy. Harder metric. It's a harder metric. <laughs> well, that's exactly it. It's hard to write, right? How do you measure that? So you don't measure it and you measure the thing you can measure, which is, you know, a common mistake. And that's how many of them went on to college, presuming that college is good for them. But uh, yeah, these shop classes have gone away um, and the loss is phenomenal. A guy named uh, Matt Crawford, I think at a where is he at? Chicago University wrote a book called Shop Classes Soulcraft that really talks about this. But he pointed out that not only is shutting down these programs really impacted the trades, because that's where you start getting exposed. I mean, unless you're, you know, your family's involved in, say, mechanics or engineering or something, that's where you first get exposed to hands-on kind of experience and kind of fall in love with electrical work or mechanical work or whatever. But in addition to that, those are the skills that even the advanced engineers need. It's the skills I need of my students. My students come to me and I want to train them in big scale electrical engineering. As I've said, first, I got to cover the basics. But the thing is, first, I got to cover the real basics. Like, how do you strip a wire? You know, how do you solder two things together? Man, uh, yeah. I shouldn't be doing that. They should have already gotten those experiences or other experiences in addition you know, shop class was invaluable for th teaching things like problem solving, innovation, um, even spatial reasoning. And as I said, these are core skills for sustainability professionals. And we kind of got to start from scratch because they're not getting those kinds of skills. So there's a real genuine value to be able to work with your hands, being able to imagine something and then actually make it or being able to take something that's broken and fix it. And that value I think intellectually is necessary for our training, but also as a nation, that value, that ability is necessary for our economy. And frankly, it's just fantastic. I mean, those are great careers. People can have fully fulfilling and happy and meaningful lives building homes and they should do that. And they shouldn't be, I think, in my view, convinced that they need a bachelor's degree in order to yep. do that. Yeah, and profitable, and you don't start your career in debt six figures. I mean, it's 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 you can be making six figures in five to eight years, and in, in a lot of in a lot of trades, a lot of professions. Instead of starting out your career in five years, a hundred grand in debt or or whatever. Absolutely, and you know, a lot of my colleagues will reply, "Well, yeah, but undergraduate education also exposes them to whatever I don't know, literature, art, etc." Well, 
there are many, many, many other ways to allow the population to be exposed to and appreciate and learn about art, literature, etc. Charging them $60,000 a yeah. year for tuition, probably not the best one. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I'm, I went to college straight from high school. I never considered anything else. And I don't have any regrets. I was good at it. I liked it. But, you know, with, with the perspective, looking back at this perspective, I, that was never even an option. I mean, it ne I never even considered like, you know, I, there was a time in my career. It's like, man, I could have been, I could have been an electrician. That could have been, that could have been great. That could have been fun for me. I, I started one of my first things in, in, kind of the energy field was working with PV on, again, in the nineties on off-grid, off-grid homes. I really got into it. It's like, yeah, I, I could have, instead of going to undergrad and grad, I could have been an electrician and been perfectly happy. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. And, you know, in addition to that, the point I don't want to miss is even if you had not stayed as an electrician, that training Oh yeah, may have focused your undergrad, may have given you better background for the kind of training you got later. You know, yeah, and the one thing I have a huge gap with plumbing. Like I, I'll run hands-on plumbing. I run away. <laughs> I never. It's like no sweater pipe. Oh God, no! Don't make me sweat. Anything. Oh, it's horrible. Well, happily, with the new fittings that are out there, you'll never need to sweat another pipe and you yeah. still do plumbing. <laughs> nice, nice, cool. Well. We've touched on this a lot, but um, the last question we try to ask folks, if we were to talk again in five or 10 years, what would we be talking about? Or maybe a, a more upbeat, what do you, what would you hope that we'd be talking about in five to 10 years? Right. Well, I think, I hope that we'll be talking about is the phenomenal growth and sustainability training <laughs> <laughs> uh, as a result of our dramatic shift toward renewable energy. Um, and I think that, you know, that is clearly in the cards. So we're clearly moving, I mean, toward electric vehicles, we're clearly moving to alternative energy. So I think that's going to, you know, really require that we rethink uh, the training that's out there for engineers, for technicians and others. Um, but I, what I'd like to do, I guess, is if we talked in five years, it would be great if the conversation, getting back to the question you asked previously, talked about the need for sustainability awareness and education across the industry so that not just sustainability professionals, not just electrical engineers, not just building trades folks, but accountants, historians, librarians, teachers, all need that perspective on sustainability and those kinds of integrative skills uh, in order to do their job. That is, I hope, where we'll be within a few years. Thank you for listening and thanks to Patrick. Check out our show notes page for more info on him and links to more on the, the sustainability program at Stockton and links to some other stuff that we mentioned. Swinter.com slash podcast is where our show notes are. That's swinter.com slash podcast. Buildings and Beyond is produced by Stephen Winter Associates. We are focused on making buildings better, more resilient, more healthy, accessible, efficient, sustainable. We get our fingers into lots of aspects of high performance buildings. As I mentioned, we currently have about 25 postings on our careers page. Uh, in all our offices, Boston, Connecticut, Manhattan, DC. I believe I even saw an opening uh, based in Florida. Our accessibility team has been doing quite a bit of work in Florida, I believe. 
So check that out if you are interested in opportunities. Again, swinter.com. Thanks to the podcast team here, Kelly Westby, Heather Breslin, Alex Mirabile, Dil Martello, and I'm Rob Aldrich. Thanks for listening.